resurrection, assembly of God. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Well, we're going to get into our sermon, and we're in Romans chapter 6, I think. I, I don't think. I know. I wrote the sermon. I read it several times, the, the passage. I also have, I bring up my, the Bible from the pew, and then I have my Bible up here, so I have a lot of Bibles because I'm such a good pastor. Kadeen, make sure that doesn't all go into the podcast. <laughs> make me sound professional. All right. Beloved saints, just want to remind you that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's from Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 22 to 23. And I pray that the God of hope and the hope of God's faithful and steadfast love would strengthen you today. And I invite you right now to just consider that love of God. The love that holds the sparrows in the air. The love that binds molecules together to form air and water that sustains us. That love that flows from the triune God like a river that never runs dry. Church, God so loves this world. And God so loves you. So take heart, because God's love will not fail. Great is his faithfulness. Today, we continue in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 1. put my bookmark one to page too soon. There we go. Starting in verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Open our ears to hear your spirit speak. Open our eyes to see the works of your hands. Strengthen our bodies so that we can walk in the newness of life as we pick up our cross to follow you. You alone are faithful, you alone are good, and you alone free us from the reign of sin and death. Grow the fruit of faithfulness as we follow you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Church, it may not seem like it, but there is a cosmic battle waging even now. Sin and death, the rulers of the old order, still want to lay claim to us. But church, we no longer live under the dominion of those wicked powers. We live under the dominion of grace. Grace that reigns through righteousness. The righteousness that leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is not just any grace that lays claim to us. It is the grace of God in Christ Jesus. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. The Prince of peace. Glory to God. And here in our passage today, Paul appeals to that grace and demands that we do not misunderstand it or take it for granted. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Church, the question that the early church wrestled with in the light of the forgiveness and freedom of Christ is not dissimilar to the question we wrestle with today. What do we make of God's grace? If we can count on God's faithful and steadfast love, his mercies which are new every morning, if we can count on his faithfulness, if his power is made perfect in our weakness, if his grace is sufficient, then do we actually need to try all that hard to live righteously? I've heard this question. I've wondered this question. How concerned do we actually need to be about sin if grace abounds? Do we need to be concerned about sin at all if grace abounds? Does freedom in Christ mean freedom to do what is right in my own eyes? 
Where do we find the balance on the spectrum of legalism and lawlessness? Paul does not give some simplistic rubric in response. Nor does he give a complex tome of laws to answer the question at hand. Because Paul knows lawlessness and legalism are two sides of the same coin. Both lawlessness and legalism have an inward focus. Lawlessness focuses on self-gratification without regard for its effect on the broader community. Legalism focuses on self-justification and self-righteousness, which elevates the self while casting judgment on others in the community, often in very damaging ways. Both elevate the self instead of God. Both are trying to force God's hand of judgment to favor the self. Both lack love and do honor for neighbor and ultimately for God. Church, you can neither look to what you can get away with because of grace, nor can you count yourselves more worthy of grace because you carefully follow each rule. It is a false dichotomy to choose between lawlessness and legalism. And Paul knows this, which is why he changes the conversation entirely. When the church asks, if grace abounds, does sin even matter? Of course it does. Hear me, church, because this is the witness of the entire Bible. Sin is damaging. It is the weapon of the enemy. And as much as sin puts on the pretense of freedom, it pulls away from God, pulls us away from God, and it enslaves us to death. Of course sin matters. But as we try to negotiate, Paul turns our attentions from that inward focus of what can I get away with or how do I prove myself to be worthy of God's grace. He turns our attentions away and back to where it belongs, back to Christ, who is our righteousness, Christ, who is our peace. Paul knows the only way to unbind ourselves from this duality that leads to death is to remember to whom, through baptism, we are truly bound. We must remember that Jesus Christ is Lord. We must remember that we are bound to him and his dominion is grace. Paul inspires the imagination here. As he turns the church's face from the qualifications of who is in and who is out and what exactly you may or may not do, this is what we all need. We need Christ filling our imagination. 
We need to look to every question we are faced with. And when the spirit prompts us to discern that these options can't be the whole story. There must be another way. We must grab hold of those thoughts and like Paul, take them captive to Christ. Now, let me unpack what I mean by inviting you to imagine Jesus. Close your eyes if it helps. Imagine Jesus, God the Son, the word that formed the heavens and the earth, that entered creation in utter humility. Church, picture God who chose to be born like Reed in the back, a helpless and frail little baby, wholly dependent on his mother's body to grow, dependent on her care to clean and feed him, even as Mary's body, just like all of ours, fully depended upon him in whom she lived and moved and had her being. Christ, in all humility and in all strength, simultaneously led a completely sinless life, walked through temptation that we cannot fathom, and faithfully opened his arms on the cross to be made even more humble and helpless than those years as an infant, held up on a tree like a curse, faithful and obedient, loving and holy to the very last breath. Imagine him bound up in cloths and placed in the grave, And remember the glory that pierced through the darkness of death when the grave could not hold him. Imagine him as he rose in sweet victory, conquering sin and death. Remember him, imagine him as he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now picture yourself, church, We once were bound to sin and death, bound to their lordship, bound to their service, used as instruments and weapons for their wicked purposes, and there is nothing we could ever do or not do, no perfect way to think or act that could save us from their reign. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God that Jesus took up our flesh and did what we could not do. He paid the ransom we could not pay and broke the unity of sin and death by dying wholly apart from sin that we might live and walk in the newness of life. Church, When we, like Paul, start to recognize the truth of the cosmic implications of Christ's victory, when we stop using Jesus like a get-out-of-jail-free card or like another badge of our righteous accomplishments, but truly see ourselves bound to him, immersed in him, united to Christ our Lord, 
and instead see the truth that we were so bound up to sin and death so that even when we did not intend it, they used us for their loveless ends. When we remember, like Paul remembers, the unbinding of those two that happened as Jesus never submitted to the lordship of evil and conquered death in righteousness, when we remember that just like just as we were plunged beneath the waters of baptism in divine mystery, we became bound to Christ, united in his death, dipped into the mystery of God the Son himself, and therefore united to his victorious and life-giving ends, so that once and for all we could be free from sin's inevitability, and from death's final sting. Then we can start to imagine a way beyond what the world tries to offer us. Instead of lawlessness or legalism, we can begin to imagine the way of grace through Christ, which is the way of love. We are bound to the God of freedom, of life, of love, and we move from being instruments of sin and death to become the instruments of grace, of love, of redemption, and of life. Church, when we truly love God and neighbor, when we remember that we have bound ourselves to the lordship of Christ, we stop living in the selfishness of legalism and the selfishness of lawlessness. When we remember ourselves bound to Christ as we truly are, the paradigms of the world shift. We walk in humility as we follow our Lord. We pick up our cross. We offer unearned forgiveness. We bless when others curse. We submit ourselves to God as we offer the hand of healing to our neighbor. We, like Christ, begin to open our arms in vulnerability, in sacrifice, and in love. Church, We have died with Christ in the waters of baptism. And we being bound to the one who resisted sin unto death must die to sin. Death no longer holds claim to us. Sin no longer holds claim to us. Grace does. Love does. Life does. Sin matters, church. The grace of God is that we are no longer bound to it. The grace of God is that is not that we can freely sin. 
That's not what grace is about. The grace of God is that in Christ, sin's wages are paid. The grace of God is life bound up with Christ. Walking by his spirit into the glory of God the Father. Jesse, you can get the kids. Church, sin matters. And pastorally, I invite your imagination to remember that you're bound to Christ. And when sin calls you to follow, let Jesus drag you the other way. We won't get it right every time. We will stumble. But just as you stumble, stumble towards Christ, church. Reach out. And when you're desperate, grab the hem of his garment. Let the power of God transform you. And as sin tries to master you once again, remember that his claim is void in Christ, who is our righteousness. So in all humility and love, let Christ fill your imagination again. Let the Spirit transform you in unity with the Lord who broke the power of sin and death and offered grace. Walk in the newness of life. Walk in the assurance of grace. Walk in the footsteps of the Lord who resisted evil in every way. You are bound to him, church. Even when you feel weak, you are bound to Christ. And remember, as you walk in his good ways, these are the steps. This is the Lord who walks us towards and binds us to new and unending life. So as the struggles come, and as you stumble into self-righteousness or self-gratification, take heart. This is not a thing, there is not a thing in heaven or earth that can unbind us from the grace of God in Christ Jesus, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are bound to life himself. So church, hear the words of Paul ring true as you walk the way of Christ. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ fill your imagination and give you strength to stand against the powers of darkness in this present age. And praise God that grace abounds. I invite you to stand, prepare your hearts for communion. Because we can boldly approach the throne of grace and receive mercy, 
let's confess our sins to God and to one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, and in deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent, O God. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. And give us the joy of your saving help again. And sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Amen. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have confessed our sins. God forgives us. If you're not a Christian, I urge you today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized, that you might join us at this table. If you've not done so, I recommend you refrain from this meal for your own sake. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. We now celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer you these gifts. Father, we ask you to sanctify these by your Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. We ask you to make us holy that we may faithfully receive this meal and serve you in unity, faith, and peace. And at that last day, bring us with all of your church into the joy of your eternal kingdom. We ask all of this through your son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen.